down, uh, but we'd love you to come and uh, meet with us for worship. So you can sign up at the link uh, that is on the email that was sent out, I believe, yesterday. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're stepping out of our addiction series this morning um, to address, in part, some of the situations that have been going on in our city, in our nation, and so I'd ask you to turn to Psalm 94. Um, It's a unique reality that today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, because as you probably know, on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the fact of all that Jesus has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection, and in particularly then the sending of his Holy Spirit to um, unify one, as, as Ephesians chapter 2 would say, one humanity. Not, not multiple, but one humanity, one new man in, in Christ. And so it's, it's this unifying effect, even as we sang the song, In Christ Alone. We stand in Christ alone, but we stand together with brothers and sisters. And in a time where there is divide and where there is plenty of pain and hurt. It is a wonderful reminder to uh, consider the fact that Jesus has lived, he has died, he has been raised to unify together one people uh, for his namesake. That we will stand, we should be standing together, and we will one day stand together before his throne, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation declaring his glory. So I want to turn your attention to Psalm uh, 94 on this Pentecost uh, Sunday. It was this past Friday morning, um, as I kind of sat down during my devotional time, I was reflecting on the circumstances of our nation, and particularly mourning the murder of George Floyd and um, the subsequent rioting that has now happened in my hometown of Minneapolis as well now here in Philly and in many cities across the nation. Um, And so on Friday morning, I sat thinking through these things, uh, lamenting it, mourning what what is happening within our nation, and even feeling in those moments of thinking through these kind of things, you, you, you tend to get sucked into all the noisy banter and the loud back and forth of competing perspectives. And there I just felt overwhelmed. Overwhelmed not just with the the sadness of the moment, um, but also just kind of confused with with all the different things that are being said, the ways people are framing their perspectives, how they are voicing those perspectives. And there there I saw just sat just sad, frustrated, but then heard the Lord so calmly say, and it just kind of cut through all the noise. He said, Dan, just hear the pain of my people. Just listen to the pain. In other words, just see that all the competing perspectives and all the different reactions and the anger and the confusion is birthed out of a place of pain. Just listen to the pain of my people, my image bearers. Folks, as a church, I think this is where we are to begin. How do we make sense of all this? How do we get involved in all of this? Well, I think we begin by listening to the pain of others and doing so with something of godly compassion. But I do think, secondly, that we do renounce the evil that is causing this pain. We must renounce the evil that we all got a front row seat to seeing as George Floyd, his life was slowly in those moments taken. It was something of pure and inexcusable injustice. And we must renounce this evil. But I do believe, and I know I'm stepping into the fray in saying this, 
But I think we must also renounce this evil as an evil of racial injustice, of treating others actively or passively as though there are differing levels of value and dignity from one ethnicity to another. I have heard it said during this time, well, the instance with George Floyd was an instance of injustice, but not an instance of racial injustice. I do not know the immediate heart motivations at play in those moments where the officer placed his kneel upon the, the neck of George Floyd. I don't know his motivations. I don't know what was going through his, his heart. There's no way for me to understand that. But folks, he didn't have to have some sort of overt racial, racist motivation for it to be racial injustice. We cannot somehow kind of rip this particular circumstance from the broader context of our long-standing history as a nation, nor can it be somehow ripped from the more recent history of racial injustice that we've faced in our nation, nor can we just strip it from the voice of our dear black brothers and sisters in Christ that say, this is a massive issue beyond what you may see. Nor can we assume that this will not have some sort of racial impact, particularly on the next generation of young black boys growing up in this mess. We must renounce this evil as injustice, and I do believe we must renounce it as an evil of racial injustice. But I also, folks, believe that we have to get our eyes on God during this time. We have to get our eyes on him. On Friday, as I'm praying, it, it, was, it was these wonderful moments where God is drawing near and just directing my thoughts and directing my heart, and, and he led me to Psalm 94. I am not very familiar with Psalm 94, but since Friday, switching up the focus for the sermon here this morning, I just felt like the Lord said, this is the text for Sunday. So over the last so many hours now, I've been immersing myself in this text, preparing now for this moment. And I do believe that this psalm, it, it calls us to do all the above that I've just mentioned. It calls us to renounce, the, yes, the oppression at hand, but also to hear the pain of the oppressed and to do so with compassion, but also then ultimately to look to our God, who in this psalm is called the God of vengeance. Even Matthew Henry, he, he writes it this way, the old commentator, he says, in singing this psalm, Psalm 94, he says, we must look abroad, we must look horizontally, that is, upon the pride of oppressors with a holy indignation, with a righteous anger, and we must look abroad upon the tears of the oppressed with a holy compassion. But at the same time, we must look upwards to the righteous judge with an entire satisfaction and look to the end of all things with a pleasing hope. So as we look to Psalm 94, let's, let's lament Let's feel for our black brothers and sisters. Let's feel for our city, our nation, but let's look to our judge with this pleasing hope that he provides. Psalm 94. Let's read it together. Verse 1. O Yahweh, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, here's the cry of the psalmist, will you shine forth? Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? 
They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers they boast. They, they crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he himself not hear? He who formed the eye, does he himself not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord Yahweh, oh, he knows the thoughts of man. And he knows that they are but a breath. They are worthless. Blessed then, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from the days of trouble until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot, it slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations, they cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame, institute injustice by statute. Oh, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord Yahweh, our God, he will wipe them out. Let's pray and we'll dive into the text together. Father, we come to you with heavy hearts. We come to you with plenty of confusion. We come to you um, mourning even the pain that many of our black brothers and sisters are facing now. We come greatly concerned with even in particular the, the next generation of young black boys, many whom even on the block here we so deeply love and care for. God, in these, in these times we are in need of, of your intervention. God, we thank you that today is Pentecost Sunday where you poured out your spirit upon your church and what a church it was, glowing in diversity, but bound together in a common unity in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, then to see Christ exalted in all things and in all places. What a work you've done for us. But Holy Spirit, we ask your presence even now to come in abundance, that you would bind your church together once again in Christ, that together we might stand for justice, that we might stand as a people together who would be willing to call out, this is wrong, and do what we can by the enablement of your Spirit to see the wrongs made right. So Jesus, we ask you, for help in these moments, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in Psalm 94, verse 1, we see the psalmist crying out to this God of vengeance. In verse 1, it is a cry specifically then 
to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is a call to Yahweh, who by definition then is a God of vengeance. It's Yahweh. If you remember uh, our, our, our previous series where, where we've talked about this title of God, Yahweh refers to the self-sufficient, self-existent nature of God. He is the fountain of life. He is the one who depends upon nothing but which all things depend upon him. He gives life, breath, and all things to his creation. And therefore, as the creator of the earth, as Yahweh, who gives life and breath to all things, to his creation, it is his rightful place to stand as judge of the earth. He is the one who alone not only has the right to judge the earth because he gives and sustains all of life on earth, but he alone knows how every ounce of life and breath has been spent for his glory or for the glory of man. And therefore, no justice is perfect apart from the Lord's justice. And therefore, the psalmist is calling upon Yahweh, the Lord, appealing to his character. He's calling out for the God of vengeance to shine forth, for the judge of the earth to rise up. And because this is the nature of our creator God, the only question about the power of evil and the prevalence of this oppression is verse 3. How long, O Lord? It's not a matter of whether it will be perfect justice, but when it will be perfect justice. And injustice, in other words, does have an expiration date in Jesus' economy, right? It has an expiration date. It has a time set where the God of vengeance, the judge of the earth, will come back and he'll make every wrong right. Now, what kind of oppression or injustice is ex being experienced in this text? Well, verse 5 says that the life of God's image bearers are being crushed underfoot. And more specifically, it's the vulnerable who are being crushed. Verse 6, it refers to the widow and the sojourner and the orphan. There is an evil unjust use of power and authority over and against the most vulnerable of God's image bearers. And, and, and the imagery is all too real for us from what we've seen over the last so many days. It's literally the knee of power and authority crushing the neck of the vulnerable. That's the imagery. And verse 7, those who crush the neck of the vulnerable... They think they are unaccountable, as if they hold the ultimate power and authority, as if the Lord Yahweh doesn't see them, as if there's no account beyond their own power and their own authority. This is the cry of the psalmist. He's crying out for the vengeance of God, for the judge of the earth to rise up and shine forth with justice. This, in large part, should be the cry of God's people. This should be our psalm. This should be our song. O oh, Lord God of vengeance, judge of the earth, rise up and shine. The psalmist laments. The psalmist cries out to the God of vengeance. But then second, he takes hope in the God of vengeance. What, what he now outlines is this sure, rock-solid hope. Yes, while everything is broken, while everything seems backward, while injustice stares us in the face, the psalmist goes to great extent in the next so many verses, verse 8 through 23, in which he takes hope in the God of of vengeance. Who is this God of vengeance? What hope are we to have in him as everything seemingly is falling apart? Well, just listen to the psalmist. Check out verse 8. We find that God sees and hears all oppression. While the oppressors 
In verse 7, they assume the Lord does not see, does not hear them. The psalmist calls them fools. And in verse 9 says, Why would you think that he who gave you sight and he who gave you the ability to, to hear, he gave you eyes, he gave you ears, wouldn't himself then see and hear and see and hear all things? Of course, all things are plain and open to Yahweh. As Psalm 136 says, it says, he knows our thoughts from afar. Or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, no creation, no creature is hidden from Yahweh's sight, but all are naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. There is no justice that is hidden from the eyes of Yahweh. Nothing will happen as as, as perhaps we would say, underneath the table. Nothing will escape his view. Nothing will escape his ears. All things will be exposed, and meticulously so, for what they are as injustice. And the psalmist then assures his, his heart, and he, he battles the fear that he's facing by rehearsing the fact that Yahweh has, he has no rivaled authority. Verse 10, he even disciplines and rebukes great nations. In other words, there's, there's no greater power that can kind of rival God and in some way kind of hold on to their ways of injustice. It's like Isaiah 40, verse 15 says, that the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are like dust on the scales. It's to say that these authorities and powers are inconsequential in comparison to the zeal and extent of Yahweh's might. In other words, nothing will get in the way of him seeing, knowing, and bringing about final justice for his people. So the psalmist is saying, take hope. This is Yahweh, this is the God of vengeance. Whatever we may see in part, whatever we see from our own perspectives, he sees plainly and in full. And whatever may hinder justice in our moment will be brought to nothing in a time to come. He sees and he hears all oppression. But then secondly, there's another way that we should take hope in God, that he does not waste the suffering of the oppressed. Verse 12, it states this. It's a strange, it's a strange term to just be tossed in to this bleak moment. But this is what the psalmist states as he's facing injustice. He, he says, blessed is the man whom you discipline. Those who endure the sufferings of oppression are those, the psalmist says, are blessed. It certainly wouldn't feel like it. It certainly doesn't feel like it. But this term blessed is the Old Testament reference, not to some kind of like unhinged happiness or some sort of joy that, that, that stands in denial of really the deep and abiding pain that surrounds oneself. This blessing is a joy that comes from knowing the nearness of God's presence. It's the nearness of God who shines his face upon his own and even grants something of shalom, peace, although all things may be falling away. He's a God, in other words, who is attracted to weakness and vulnerability. Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord Yahweh is near to the broken heart. He saves the crushed in spirit. He's attracted to the oppressed. He's attracted to the weak. He's attracted to the vulnerable. He comes to them. And verse 14, as we see in, in chapter 94, He will not forsake or abandon His people. And this idea of the fact that blessed is the man whom you discipline. Discipline is not just a term that refers to some sort of fatherly correction from a place of sinful error. 
But discipline can also refer to fatherly instruction or wisdom that he grants to us through what might be difficult and deep hardship. It's like we see in James chapter 1, where we're to consider it all joy when we enter trial. And if we lack wisdom, who are we to ask? We're to ask God the Father who gives that wisdom lavishly. He disciplines, he instructs us how to navigate through the difficulty. He is the one who is present with us in our trials, imparting instruction. He's the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation of turning. In other words, he is constantly, consistently faithful to care for his children in the midst of great injustice. He brings wisdom, he brings instruction, and he does so at times as the Father of lights, which means he is a creative God. He sometimes brings about that instruction and wisdom in creative, perhaps even miraculous ways. This is the idea that God does not waste our suffering. He does not waste this moment where people feel the oppression. He does not waste these moments. Rather, he draws near to the brokenhearted. He's choosing in these moments to show his wisdom and to demonstrate it lavishly. Folks, this is what we are in need of during this time. Therefore, it's to say through every millisecond of our oppression, there is the presence of a loving Father who is coming alongside of and teaching the oppressed how it is they are to rest all the more in His arms, but also then how to continue all the more to champion a cause for justice. Should this not be something of our own prayer? God, give us wisdom. Father, show us something of the depths of your own love, your own care, your own instruction, your own wisdom. Show us how to navigate these difficult times. Show us how we might be kind of profitable agents of justice in this world. Folks, we must take hope. He is a God who does not waste our sufferings. But third, then, he helps the suffering in their oppression. It's in verses 16 through 19. He doesn't waste the suffering of the oppressed, but he also then actively helps the suffering in their oppression. Verse 16 says, Who rises up for me? Who stands to defend me? The psalmist in these moments, he's feeling in some sense alone. He's feeling his vulnerability. Who's going to help me? Who's going to come to my aid? And the psalmist answers his own kind of deeply felt question, and he answers it seemingly from experience. He's now on the other end, and he's looking back, and verse 17, he says that in his moments of need, God intervened. And if he wouldn't have intervened, the psalmist is saying, I would have certainly died. I would have lived in the land of silence. In other words, in other words, the, the psalmist, he knows physically what it feels like to be at the mercy of the powerful. He knows what it feels like to be vulnerable. And it's not just that. It's not just that he, he, he knows the physical vulnerability of these kind of circumstances, but he knows the depths of emotional exhaustion that attends the oppression, that attends this ongoing fight for justice. He knows something of the emotional exhaustion. It's the feeling of being at that tipping point, of just wanting to give up. It's much of what I hear from our black brothers and sisters in Christ. It's tears. It is emotional exhaustion. It is why keep fighting? Why keep enduring? This is too much. It's it's what is pictured here in verse 18 when the psalmist says that his foot almost slipped. He almost gave up on the cause. He almost just surrendered to the injustice. 
Or he says in verse 19, it was the cares of his heart were many. He's emotionally just kind of bogged down. He's emotionally exhausted. His heart is burdened down. His mind is racing and emotionally he's exhausting. He's referring to the crushing weight of stress and anxiety that attends this oppression and this fight for justice. You see, it's not just about physical vulnerabilities leading to potential death, but also the emotional exhaustion of feeling the oppression and having little left in resisting the injustice at hand. But then all to the, to the point, God helps the oppressed. He draws near to help them physically and emotionally. Physically, God preserves life in verse 18. And in verse 19, he consoles the weary. But what, notice, what is the basis for this help that he's receiving? Verse 18. It's Yahweh's steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word uh, hesed that refers to God's covenant-keeping love. It's this covenant-keeping love from God that binds God to his own with, with this unwavering commitment, but then also then binds us to him. It's this love of relationship that holds us together with Yahweh God. And this love is all sealed and it is made possible ultimately as we walk through the storyline of Scripture, we'd find that it is sealed and made possible through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, in other words, that secures and fulfills this covenant-keeping love, this reality that God is bound to his own and his own are bound to him. It's Jesus which satisfies that particular reality. This, then, is the gospel. It is the gospel that is helping the oppressed both physically and emotionally. It's this has said. It's this steadfast love. It's this which ultimately points to Jesus and is satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus that gives physical strength and emotional endurance to keep on keeping on in the face of injustice. It's this gospel that truly does preserve, it truly preserves us in life and in death. From what seems to be the case, George Floyd was a believer. <laughs> and, and, and so we can take hope that even amidst this injustice, the gospel holds his soul. It preserves his life. For him, it's this has said, the fact that God has bound himself to George, and George now is bound to God, that his life is preserved, whether in life or in death. It's this gospel which binds God the God of all comfort to the emotionally drained, to those who are exhausted in these moments. It binds the comforter, the spirit of God who ministers then to his own. It's the gospel, folks, that keeps us moving toward the problems of injustice, right? It's the gospel that keeps us moving towards the issues of injustice. When you are shamed and disregarded, the gospel, the said love of God, covers you and defines you. When you are pushed back in your efforts for justice, the gospel supports you and calls you to continue to move forward as agents of justice, even personally. As I've processed this as a white pastor, I've, I've found at times that I, I struggle with feeling the guilt and shame for not doing more in these situations. And at times, I, I, I feel what is perhaps some of, of an inordinate pressure of shame and guilt, of, of, of not doing more or feeling kind of 
pressed to do something in the face of perhaps twisted or baiting perspectives. But even in the midst of all that craziness, even in the midst of all that chaos, it's the gospel. It's God's steadfast love that ultimately deals with my real guilt and shame, or it shields me from false guilt and shame. All so that what? I can keep moving forward into these problems, considering how it is I can learn and understand and grow in an understanding of the injustice taking place and that I might be enabled to be an agent of justice. It's the gospel that provides us a way forward through all the various perspectives, through all the various emotions, from from all the the real sense of shame and guilt that we should feel as well as the inordinate shame and guilt that we feel. The gospel, it's the love that helps the oppressed. And it helps us to move forward in these moments where things are difficult and painful. God, Yahweh, God, He is one who knows the pains, the emotional exhaustion, particularly that of our black brothers and sisters in Christ. He knows it. He doesn't waste it, but he actively cares and helps them. Finally then, what we see in this text is that God resists the rulers who execute oppression. Verse 20, the psalmist finishes with a rhetorical question. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute. Or those who band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. God, will you ally with them? Will you allow them to ally with you? Will you... Will you allow them to take your truths to twist them in order to enforce injustice? Obviously, God will not do that. He will not ally himself with injustice, nor will he allow injustice to be allied with him. God will not tolerate it, verse 22 Verse 22, it says that he will be a refuge and a stronghold for his people. And he will wipe out all of the wicked. If those who are guilty in these matters do not find mercy through Christ who was wiped out for them, They will surely stand before the fury of Yahweh's wrath. He will bring their sins against them, as the text says, and all will be brought to account. Folks, the point is this, that God resists unjust rulers, and he will bring their cruelty to a place of final satisfaction. The day that Jesus makes all things new will stand together in all of our diversity and together praise Jesus for the perfect justice that he alone can bring. Folks, this is the God of vengeance from Psalm 94. This is the God that the oppressed can find hope in. So folks, I would challenge us as a church Listen. Listen to the cries. Listen to the pain. Particularly of our black brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's stand with them. Let's mourn with them. Let's renounce the abiding evil at hand. And may we then together take hope in our God. In our God of vengeance. Now as we move forward as a church, we will continue to explore ways that we should
press into these matters, ways in which we can help, learn, grow, serve. Because when it comes down to it, as the church, we're not just kind of, you know, saved in such a way that we're, we're, we're given kind of a, a, a ticket out of hell. No, but we are saved to a mission here, and that is to see the justice of Jesus realized more and more. We've been called to that end. He has given us as a church, even as Ephesians 2 would say, there are good works that he ordained beforehand that we should walk in. That God has given us much to do. And as this becomes all the more just a pain and a sorrow and a difficulty that faces us, he will also then give the grace to walk through it all and to be agents of justice for his glory. May that be the case. So let's take hope in our God of vengeance. Let's pray together. Father, we, we cry out to you, the Father of lights, the one who says that there is lavish wisdom when we lack it. God, we come to you. We come to you as the one who sees all things plainly. You know all things clearly. There is nothing hidden from your sight. And so we look to you, we cry out to you, saying, God of vengeance, judge of the earth, rise up and shine. Bring about justice, bring about healing, bring about reconciliation. God, we, we pray for those who, like the psalmist, are, are lamenting in these moments, who are filled with all kinds of emotion, anger, fear, confusion. God, while it is, while it is something that provokes my own anger, while it's something that even stirs in some ways fear and confusion in me, I just can't imagine how much it affects the, the black community. And God, my heart is just for that younger generation as they see these things, as they try to interpret these things, as with how, how, how they then think, like this, this world is going to treat me as I, as I grow up. God, I just ask God, would you come and do a great work? Do a great work. Today we do, we celebrate Pentecost. Where at one time in Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel and oppression is taking place and all kinds of sin and, and brokenness and you scatter the people. And then Pentecost comes and we see the gathering of people, gathering of a diversity of people, a people of many different languages. And yet it's your gospel then that gives them life and binds them together in this uni unique relationship in, in the Spirit, in Christ, and you empower them for the mission at hand to see justice brought, to see wrongs made right, to see de a defense brought to the weak and the vulnerable. God, show us, show, give us wisdom for what we're to do as a church. Give us wisdom for, for how we would navigate these things. But God, even perhaps more than that, would you give us something of your own heart, your own love, where we would, where we would get stuck in the weeds of just variety of perspectives and making sense out of it all. Would we give far more attention to say, God, what is your heart in these matters? What does your love look like? How should, how should I now respond and act at the impulse of your love, not my own perspective? What does your love look like? 
So God, help us. Help me as pastor. I feel so inadequate. (laughs) But we look to you, Lord. We look to you. Our hope is in you. Teach us. Grow us in compassion. But make us a people who are actively pursuing justice for the good of the vulnerable. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could share something. While we were, uh, while Dan was teaching, the Lord took me to Psalms 29. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf in Siron, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare, and in his temple everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So God, I just want to pray that your voice is being heard. That your voice, the one that hews out fly, that hews out fires and breaks the cedars, that your voice, that majestic voice, would be heard in this time. You are the God who gives strength to his people, and you are the God who will bless his people with peace. And we need peace now, God. We need peace, and we need strength to seek for peace when injustice prevails. So, Lord, we pray that your voice would come, that your voice would speak anew to these bodies of believers that greet all over the world right now, to the rioters, to the people who are protesting, and to the people that are silent. God, we need your voice to intervene, your majestic voice that brings strength, your majestic voice that brings peace. We ask that you would come and we would create our foundation for moving forward based on the word of your voice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Yeah.
God, I pray that um, that you would just be present with us, that you would be audible um, to us, that we could hear you while we interact with brothers and sisters um, across social media in particular. I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would always be present and clear in what we should and shouldn't say and how we should say it, um, that wisdom would, that we would err on the side of wisdom. Um, I don't know. I've had a hard time figuring out words to say for this, just really trying to listen. So God, help us to be good listeners to um, the people that we know and love, um, that we could hear and feel their pain because we most likely won't ever experience it. And so the only way that we're really going to be able to connect with them in that way is to listen um, with our pride down and our guard down. Um, I would just pray that you would help us to be listening to you too for your guidance and your direction and giving us the exact words that you'd want us to speak and helping us not shy away from the things that you do want us to say and helping us not be too proud to not say the things that we want to say. Um, I don't know. This is going to be a tricky road for a while, and I pray that you would just help us to listen and lean into you and do what you want us to do and say what you want us to say. God, we ask that you give us a spirit of compassion and patience <coughs> that we would try to just understand the hurt and the pains that the community is feeling. Um, we ask for wisdom and how we deal with that pain and, and that hurt. Um, but uh, allow us to be <clears throat> just a voice of just compassion and softness and listening. We don't necessarily have to have the right words to say, but just try and understand <clears throat> where this community is coming from and that you would give us just a sense of compassion to just listen. Um, we ask for your guidance. Uh, we ask for your boldness to stand up for the truth and for what is right. Um, but we ask that you protect the police <clears throat> during this. Uh, we ask that you protect the firemen uh, that are that are working. Um, we ask for a supernatural blanket of peace to come over the city, that you would work in people who don't know who you are, that don't know salvation. Um, but in this, in this pain, just give us a, a, sense, of uh, a sense of understanding and a, a supernatural <coughs> gift of compassion to give that we didn't know that we could give. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God, we ask that right now, especially now in this season of hope, we ask for encounter, God. We ask for encounter for the hearts of Christians that know you and the ones that do not know you. To know how to, like Thomas said, be compassionate, to be understanding, to have that ear. And some of us need that encounter in order to be that witness, to be that love, to feel that love overflow to give to others. So, God, we just, we pray for a moment of encounter, moments of enlightenment, the words of wisdom, dreams and visions, things that would come in the night and speak of your mercy, your glory, your peace, and your restoration for all broken things. 
And God, we pray for a justice that only you can bring, God. We pray for a peace that only you can bring, Lord. We pray for the words of love that only you can give us to speak. So God, right now, I just emphasize, Lord, that you would come and be the voice of Antonio mm -hmm. in all of the noise, God. That there would be that still, small voice, and we would quiet ourselves to hear. Father, we, uh, I just pray that you would work uh, through your church. For those who are yours, that we would bear your heart before a broken community. That we would be your hands, your feet. But that also then we would just, we would walk by the way of your truth. God, where we need to learn, we, we open ourselves to that reality and say, teach us. We, we have our perspective. Where those things need to be challenged, we say, Lord, come and accomplish that. God, I pray that even in our own church, you would, you would raise up even champions who could do well to navigate these matters in a way that promotes unity within your church, but also then galvanizes us together to be on mission to see justice brought to the vulnerable. Bless your church. Like Pentecost, Lord, we pray, pour your spirit out all the more. Give us, give us a fresh filling for these challenging days. Use the brokenness of these moments create a deeper hunger in your own people for more of you that say we have to have our God or what else do we have? We have to have the one who has the words of life or, or, or what else do we have? So God, empower your church with your spirit, we pray. God, I just finally now intercede again for the black community, and in particular, just our brothers and sisters, even in our own congregation, connected even with, within the blocks right here. God, we, we love them, we're concerned for them, we hurt with them. So God, even would it be that, uh, once again, you would utilize some to Help us. Help us grow in perspective. Help us grow in how to apply truth to these difficult matters. Spirit, would you come and work? And now, finally, by way of benediction, Psalm 121. It says, may the Lord keep you from all evil, from all injustice, and may he keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Blessings. It's great to be with you guys. See you next week.